0: Hey guys, welcome to Salt City. We are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark this morning. And so if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 4? And we are looking at just a few verses this morning, verses 35 through 41. Verses will be on the screens. Go ahead and read along with me. Starting with verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. What we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be walking through this text kind of from a specific angle. We see these themes coming up in the text of the power of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus and the purpose of suffering. And for a lot of us, this topic of suffering brings up a lot of questions for us. And maybe one of the more popular questions that people have been asking for years and years is this question. If God is All powerful and good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? If God's powerful, He could certainly stop suffering from happening. And if He's good, then He would certainly want to. So it's said, it doesn't really make sense that the world is as we find it. And there's actually an example of this kind of question came to my mind as I was prepping the sermon. And so one of the normal ways that I prepare for a sermon is if the text is kind of short, I like to write down the text. And so I was actually in the middle of writing down this text so I could kind of drill it into my heart and into my mind. And I was thinking about it. I was thinking about this question of if God is good and all-powerful, then why does he allow suffering? And as soon as I had written the words, peace, be still, my phone started buzzing and I got this text and it was from my friend Stan and this is what the text said. Emergency. If you can stop and pray right now for Joel, he has been in a terrible car accident and is in the ER right now. They did CPR at the scene and are working on him right now with Rachel now. Please stop and pray. And so in that moment, I just bowed my head and started praying for Joel and started praying for Rachel and started praying for wisdom for Stan. But again, this passage was brought into focus for me. This question is not made for sort of the philosophical classroom environment. The question gets down to us in our real life circumstances, And so we're just gonna take the text basically asking these three questions of it. Is God all-powerful? Is God good? And why is there so much suffering now? So the first question, is God all-powerful? Now, before we dive into the the question, is God all-powerful, we need to understand the purpose of miracles in the Bible. So the story that I read at the beginning is a miracle story. It's kind of obvious what happens. Jesus calms a storm. C.S. Lewis says something really interesting in his book called Miracles. He says this, Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. In other words, what C.S. Lewis is saying is that what we see in the passage that we're looking at is we see Jesus doing something that is understandable to us that God has always been doing. And so what we see in the passage is we see Jesus has this idea. He says to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. And if you sort of read between the lines of the text, what you realize by the end of the story is that Jesus had purpose in bringing his disciples out onto the lake. He was planning on making a storm happen. So in C.S. Lewis's words, what we're seeing in small letters in this text is that Jesus is the creator of every storm. Jesus is the creator of the universe. We read at the very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we immediately see that Jesus is in control and that Jesus is all-powerful. And if we're not convinced of it, as we sort of read between the lines at the beginning of the story, we're definitely convinced of it at the end when we see Jesus stand up in a boat and say, peace, be still. And he calms this massive storm, this storm that's so powerful that the disciples literally think they're going to die. Peter, on accounting this story and many different things that he saw Jesus do, Made this conclusion about what he saw in the boat that day. First Peter 1:16 says, "For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty." And this is really interesting. Peter was actually in that boat. And we said at the beginning of this series that Mark is actually retelling Peter's eyewitness account of what happened in the life of Jesus. And Peter, on being an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus in this boat and in many other places and at different times, makes this conclusion. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, without mincing any words, is that his belief on seeing the power of Jesus displayed is that God became a human being. This person was so majestic and so amazing that what Jesus made clear to him as he walked on the earth is that he is the God of Genesis, the all-powerful creator of the entire universe. Now, this happening in the boat was actually predicted long before it happened. Did you know that? This word, Lord, brings us back to a passage in the Psalms, Psalm 107, 28 through 30. It's almost like the psalmist is telling us what would happen in the boat in Galilee many years later in vivid terms. He says this, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. So what we see in this passage is we see in small letters what God has been writing across the sky for millennia. That he is the all-powerful creator, and sustainer of the universe. Nothing that happens in the world happens outside of his control and it should make us stand in awe. Remember the first time I ever had the privilege of teaching this passage was at the church that I grew up in and maybe some of your churches did this too but we did children's church up front and so I sort of stood in front of like 15 little kids up front and I remember telling this story and saying, the disciples, can you imagine what this would be like? And they're bailing water out of the boat, and they're like, Jesus, wake up, we're terrified. And then Jesus stands up, and I held my arms out, and I said, peace, be still, and the storm stop." And this kid is sitting there, and his his eyes are getting wider and wider as I'm telling the story, and he just stands up, and he goes, whoa! (laughs) This is not difficult to understand that what... Mark is trying to tell us is that Jesus is more powerful than we could imagine. But there are a couple objections, I think, that our culture would have to this story right away. As I go through it and I make the case for the fact that Peter is saying that Jesus is all-powerful, I can hear these couple things. One, One objection is, hasn't science disproven miracles? So so maybe that's running through your head. You just kind of push this aside and you're like, yeah, I think maybe he was hallucinating or this didn't really happen and this is embellished. Well, let's just walk through that argument solely here. Hasn't science disproven miracles? Now, the definition of science is observing natural phenomena, making hypotheses and conclusions based on what you observe. The definition of a miracle is a supernatural phenomenon, which means, by definition, the natural and the supernatural operate on two different planes of reality. To say that science has disproven miracles would be like saying, by observing a muffler in a Model T car, you have disproven the existence of Henry Ford. It doesn't make any sense. Science, by its very definition, can only observe natural phenomenon. It has nothing to say about the supernatural. In fact... Science in our day and age denies the existence of the supernatural. Okay, so has science disproven miracles? No, it can't, by definition. The other question that I would hear somebody say is, how can you be so certain that these things even happened? And and sort of behind that question is, no one could possibly be certain that these things happened. And my argument for that objection is that it's a completely different view of what certainty is. In fact, it's a completely cultural view of what certainty is. So I don't know if you've heard this term postmodern before, but essentially postmodernity says that we can only, um, we, we can't know anything with certainty. But what the Bible teaches is the way that we can know things with certainty is when God reveals them to us. So the way that we can be certain that these things have happened is that God has revealed them to us through his word. Okay, so let's, let's all pretend, even if you don't, that we agree that God is all-powerful. This sort of creates a problem for us, right? If God is the all-powerful creator of the universe and he's revealed himself through Jesus, then how can he possibly be good when we live in this broken, messed up world that we find ourselves in? So it leads us to this next question, is God good? And I think the reason that we ask this question is we think if God were good, then he would take the pain away. We hear it in the disciples' question as they're in the boat and the storm is raging all around them. They say to Jesus, don't you even care that we're perishing? But I think the place that we see the goodness of God in this passage is we see that Jesus, being God, is present with the disciples in their suffering. Think about how amazing that is. If it's true that Jesus is God, we have a story in Scripture of God being in a little boat with a bunch of smelly dudes. It, it, you know, Jesus, he could have stood on the shore and rebuked the storm. There was no reason for him to be in the boat. But he puts himself in the middle of the storm. He feels the waves crashing. He feels the fear begin to rise. He hears the screaming. The rain is pelting down on his skin. He experiences everything that the disciples are experiencing. The way that we see the goodness of God is not that he takes away our pain immediately, but that he's present with us as we suffer. He knows everything that we're going through because he is experiencing it alongside of us. This is incredibly practical for all of us because many of us are going through things that are so deeply painful for us. We're like the disciples. The waves are crashing over the side of the boat. We know intellectually That God is good, but it sure doesn't feel that way. And maybe you've cried out over and over again. You've lost even the strength to pray. You come here this morning, you're just weary. It it took all your strength just to get here. And you're just wondering, if God is good, why wouldn't he take my pain away? And the way that God answers us is that he's with us. See, he wasn't just there with the disciples in the boat. Scripture promises us from beginning to end that God is with us every step of the way. Let me give you three examples in Scripture. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love this one because it's so simple. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And a real familiar one to many of us, Matthew twenty eight twenty. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when, when we're in the midst of suffering, we often forget what's actually true about God. We often forget Bible verses, and we often just get overwhelmed in that situation. But what you need to see is that God's presence with you isn't contingent on your feelings. It's not like when the disciples began to be overwhelmed with the storm that Jesus all of a sudden jumped out of the boat. He was still there. And even if you feel like God is not with you, he's there. Your feelings are liars. Jesus has promised that he is present with you. I think that's what so many of us are longing for when we're going through different suffering and different pain, different storms in our lives. We're just longing for someone who will just be with us. One of the hardest things that I ever went through in my life was when um, my wife Melissa and I went from zero to four kids at once. The way you do that is your wife gets pregnant with twins with nine months to go in the adoption process. And so my wife had given birth to our twin daughters on August 25th of 2013, and I left for the Democratic Republic of Congo September 20th of 2013 to go get our other two kids. And it was absolutely horrible. I was supposed to be there for a week or two and ended up being there for 40 days. My kids had tuberculosis and malaria and parasites, and it was just absolutely gut-wrenching. In addition to that, there was a government shutdown of adoptions that happened while we were there, and our adoption agency was in the process of going bankrupt, and so our lawyer was actually trying to steal money from me, and at one point, some people from our agency even tried to take the kids away. And I look back on that, and I don't know how I would have done it without the Lord for sure, but also without my mom. So since my wife had just given birth to the twins, she couldn't come with me. And so my mom was an absolute champ. And I just remember like, you know, we had to do laundry in our room. And so my mom's, you know, doing the laundry and my mom's cleaning up and my mom's got way more experience with kids than I do. So she's helping take care of the kids. And she's just, Absolutely, in every way, present with me. And you know, it's fun, even now, to sit down and have conversations with my mom about that. There's just something to the fact that we went through those events together. You know, Jesus has been and will always be present with you in whatever circumstances you walk through. And for some reason, his design for your life and for my life is not always to immediately relieve the pain. Sometimes his design is to go through the pain with us. Which gets us to the last question, doesn't it? Why does he do it that way? None of us like that, right? Why? The why question always comes up when the pain is at its peak. So why is there so much suffering now? If God is who he has revealed himself to be in Jesus, if he's so powerful that he can bring storms up and he can calm them down, and he's so good that he would find himself on a boat with a bunch of ragtag dudes in Galilee, then why wouldn't he end the pain now? Now, I think we see an example in many in this story of the way that... God typically operates and works. We see Jesus in the boat. He's brought this storm into being and he's sleeping. Right? Isn't that kind of a funny detail that Peter puts in there? Like, man, the storm's raging everywhere, and Jesus has his head on a cushion and he's sleeping. And I think the reason, one of the reasons that details there is because that's how it often feels when we're going through suffering. It's like, God, why are you sleeping? And we begin to ask that question, why? Like, why did Jesus take a nap? Why did he allow the storm in the first place? Why did the disciples experience even that momentary pain? Maybe it was five minutes in the storm or something like that but it doesn't really matter if it's five minutes or five years, we still have this question, why is there suffering in the world? And we begin to think like, if I were in charge of the universe, I wouldn't allow any suffering. If I was that powerful and that good, there's no way I would allow any suffering into the door of the universe. Now, I'm not going to answer all of your questions about suffering. I don't have like this magic answer that I've come up with in my time with Jesus this week. But I think this is one of the things that we see come out in this specific passage. I think there's probably a thousand ways to answer the question in scripture. So I just want to apologize in advance if this one doesn't resonate with you. Like you've been kind of sitting on the edge of your seat. You're like, oh, He's all powerful. He's all good. Okay. Why suffering? And then, you know, this is going to be a letdown for you. I'm sorry <laughs> for that. But here's Here's what we see in this passage. One of God's purposes for our suffering is to prepare us to watch Jesus make everything new. In other words, we're able to see in this one sort of quick glimpse, Jesus do what he always does with suffering. Although, A lot of times in our lives, it's a lot more drawn out. But here's the question that the text begs. Would you rather ride across a lake with Jesus on a boat and have there be no storm and just have a nice chat with him, or would you rather be on a boat with Jesus, have him bring up a storm and scare the junk out of you, And then watch him calm the storm. I think there's part of us, all of us, who would say, I'd rather go through the storm. Because that'd be so cool. Even if I got really, really, really scared. And got wet and thought I was going to die. Even that, I would go through that if I could see Jesus calm the storm. Now, it's easy for us to say that, right? Because we're standing 2,000 years removed from that. We're not in the boat. Like the disciples, if, if you were to say that to them, they'd be like, back off, man. Right? Like, don't say that, right? We don't want to go through the storm. We'd rather just have a nice, easy trip across the sea. But this is what we see throughout Scripture. That one of God's purposes for our suffering is that somehow... I don't understand exactly how this works, but somehow our suffering prepares us for the joy of seeing Jesus make everything new. Sometimes we partially get to see that in this life. We maybe get to experiencing his healing touch or a reconciled relationship or we get to see him relieve some of our suffering in some way. But I think more often than not, we experience brokenness. We experience this life as Jesus sort of sleeping on our suffering. And we're waiting for him to relieve a lot of this. We see this as a theme throughout scripture. One example of this from the life of Jesus himself is from Hebrews 12. Verse 2. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see that? It was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus' mindset as he went to the cross is, this cross is going to make eternity amazing. What was the joy that was set before Jesus, it was people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, you and I being with him in eternity forever. So we see this pattern on the cross of Christ that's been set for us, that enduring the trials of this life contributes to our everlasting joy. So think about this. Jesus is... The smartest person who's ever lived with the most perfect perspective on this life and eternity. And Jesus suffered more than any other person. And he was absolutely in control of his suffering. I think if we had his perspective, we would not only endure suffering, we would actually choose to suffer if we understood what Scripture is really saying, if we had eyes to see what's in the Bible, we would see that the greatest blessing in this life is to suffer for Jesus. Whether that's cancer or martyrdom. Either one. The Apostle Paul, another person who suffered more than most. And 2 Corinthians 4.17 said this, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When Paul says light momentary affliction, what he's referring to is having people surround him and throw rocks at him until he's almost dead. We are talking about a person who has been thrown into prison, who has been persecuted for his faith, who is willingly choosing suffering at every turn, and he's saying, the reason that I do that is because I actually believe that when Jesus wipes my tears away, that this will all be worth it. Maybe the most clear place that we have in Scripture of what that day is going to be like is in Revelation chapter 21, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. I just want you to stare with me for a second at what it's going to be like when Jesus does make everything new. When all of our trials and temptations and all the things that we experience in this life are really seen in this perspective as being light and momentary afflictions. Revelation 21, 1-4. through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, Isn't that a great lesson? The former things have passed away. There is a day coming when death will die. It will pass away. When all of your suffering will be in the rearview mirror and you will actually be glad that you suffered. Because the more tears that you shed in this life, the more tears Jesus will wipe away. And the more amazing your experience of his glory and grace will be. Let me let you in to finish just on one of the moments that I'm looking forward to most when I get to heaven. I'm sure a lot of you can think of yours. Some of you know that my oldest daughter has special needs. So Emma is adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo. She has something called apraxia of speech, which means she has a really hard time getting her words out because there's a disconnect between her brain and her mouth. And so to learn one word, she has to repeat it 3,000 times. So on a daily basis, I watch her struggle to speak. She also um, has a... Intellectual disability makes school incredibly hard for her. I remember before we adopted her, just dreaming about what her life would be like here and on finding out that she had special needs. My uh, dreams for her have changed a lot, especially what her experience will be like in this world. And guys, on on a daily basis... It is absolutely gut-wrenching for me to watch my daughter struggle so much. You know what I look forward to more than anything else? The new heavens, new earth. is to see Jesus put his hand on her mouth and to see her uh, speak clearly for the first time. And to see her mind healed, to see her resurrected body, and to get to have a conversation with Emma as Jesus intends her to be. That'd be amazing. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Let's rejoice in our sufferings, not because suffering is good, but because Jesus is good, and one day all our tears will be gone. Let me pray. Jesus, so many of us are just batting around these why questions, and when the waves are crashing over the side of the boat, we lose sight of who you are, and we need to be recalibrated often. We need to remember. And it's so good just to look at your word and to remember that even though we don't often see the purpose in our pain, that you are all powerful, that you are good, and that one day you'll wipe away our tears. Help our eyes to be fixed on that day so that we can... Endure our present sufferings with joy. God, I want to just pray for that person who's just, man, they've just got something that is so pressing. It's like you're just talking to them. God, would you just be present with them? Would they just be able to feel your touch right now? Would you just say to them what I could never say to them by your spirit? Just tell them you love them, you're with them, you feel their pain. In Jesus' name, amen.